anyone who needs a spare coronavirus test, you know, <laughs> I can negotiate a very reasonable price. <laughs> <laughs> It's Friday, June 25th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master's Student in Civil Engineering and Tweede Kamer Flag Correspondent. And with me today are Gordon Derek, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and Person in Quarantine, and Robin Pascoe, Dutch News Editor-in-Chief and Missing Member of the Nightwatch and uh, Bridge Fanatic, <laughs> uh, I just learned. Uh, Gordon, you, uh, you've been visiting uh, Brexit land, uh, didn't you? I went on a very dangerous mission to the Benighted Isle this week, uh, the, 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 the plague ridden island that is uh, the United is the United Kingdom, uh, and I've come, many... I've come back in one piece, so that's good to say. <laughs> How many tests uh, did you have to on the go? I've had to take four tests. I actually, I had to actually buy five because there's uh, this uh, ludicrous rule in the UK that if you travel for uh, over there, you have to book two tests um, to take on two, day two and day eight, even if you're coming back home within three days, as I was. Oh. Oh, so okay. I had, to, I had to pay for a test I had. Uh, I was never going to use. But yeah, I had to take a test before I left. I have to take two over there um, under UK government rules. I also had to take two tests uh, under the Dutch rules so I could come back again. Um, and now <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward to taking my fifth coronavirus test, having not had any up till now, by the way. Uh, my, yeah. my fifth in the space of a week uh, next Tuesday so I can come out of quarantine. You're just catching up on all the tests that you've been avoiding exactly. uh, for the past one and a half years. Yeah, yeah, this is just your punishment. Yeah. If if you do get positive tests though now, Gordon, you're really going to wonder where you caught it, aren't you? I mean, it's, uh, a bit it's odd. Been really weird. Yeah. I know. Well, yeah. Th there's only really one person I could have caught it from, uh, which my which, uh, which my partner. So, uh, yeah, that that would be very strange. Yeah, they are they are scaling down the bron and contact on the zoo. I heard. Yes. So uh, yeah, the, it, 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 at least in your case, it won't be uh, won't be a problem there. Yeah, just as there's a fresh wave coming into the country, so that seems like <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, a good good piece of uh, logistical planning. <laughs> yeah. As well. uh, and uh, Robin, you're a missing member of the Night Watch. I am indeed. Yes, there are people in the Night Watch, as it was painted, that we uh, we don't see at the moment. So. Uh, They've uh, put them back, if you want to put it hmm. that way. I had a theory that about the Night Watch, which when you look at it, some people are rendered in much better detail than the others. Yeah. And I kind of... Is that because those are the people who paid for it? Because obviously the Night Watch was paid for by about 20 members of the company. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I believe they, they uh, uh, indeed you had to pay um, per square meter, basically. Yeah. Uh, so if you uh, were featured uh, larger on the painting, then you, pay, then you paid more. Yeah. Uh, but the, the company was very unhappy with, uh, with the painting initially because, you know, they are a group of military people and, you know, they um, uh, usually stand in line yeah. uh, displaying their discipline. Uh, but yeah, if you look at this painting, then uh, it, 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 there's no discipline whatsoever. No, it's no. A, it's it, a huge It's very mess. relaxed and laid back and they're all, yeah. Oh, but well, it's chaotic. Yeah. yeah, There's a bit more when it's complete, though. You get a bit more of an idea of what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very nice. We will hear about that later in the podcast. But I do have a question about the Night Watch because uh, we always learn at school that uh, the Night Watch is one of the most famous paintings in the world. But I was wondering, is that actually the case or is it just something that the Dutch uh, 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 
you know, believe. You know, I've lived here too long to tell you. I think it's one of the most important paintings in the world too. But you know, whether that was the case before I came, I really couldn't tell yeah. you. <laughs> no, I think. But I think it's definitely world famous. I think most people know. Yeah. Know, yeah. Know of the Night Watch. They would. Uh, okay. They at least have heard of it. They might not be. Might not know. Be immediately able to call to mind um, what it looks like. But I think the Night Watch and the Girl with the Pearl Earring are probably the two paintings that, uh, and some some of the Van Gogh self portraits. Are the, the, the world famous paintings? There are other paintings that are very famous for the Dutch, but not really well known, yeah. known around the world, like uh, Paulus Potter's picture of the cow or the bull. Rather, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, you know, all Dutch people think that's a world famous painting, but actually, no one else outside this country has ever heard of it. That's actually it isn't. So if I take a picture of the Night Watch and I go to a random location, let's say the Clifton Suspension Bridge, and I yeah. ask a person there, <laughs> do you know this painting? Then he or she will say, yes, this is the Night Watch by Rembrandt and it hangs in the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam. Well, I would hope so, given the number of history mm. of art students there are there, yes. <laughs> uh, so, so, Paul, what, 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 what's your latest with the uh, Tate of Karma flag? This seems to be a very long-running theme, uh, the flag Indeed, of the Tate of Karma. Indeed, yeah. yeah. Uh, 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 we had, of course, the uh, the Tweede Kamer flag saga a couple of years ago. Yeah. I believe it was actually one of the Ophef of the Year uh, nominees. Um, I think it was uh, yes. a couple of years yeah. ago. Uh, this this awful, dreadful, uh, uh, way too small flag that was uh, placed in the Tweede Kamer yeah. on a ter- in a sort of terrible little um, uh, block. block that looked like it was one yeah. of those cheese flags. That yeah, you, that, exactly. That, 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 yeah, that you put out with uh, with the bottles. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Yeah, and uh, this week we had several flag related motions. The first one was by Volt, who who uh, 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 wanted to put the European flag in the Tweede Kamer as well, mm. next to the national flag. The uh, the Netherlands is one of the few countries that you know initially didn't even have a flag, but also doesn't have the European flag there. And this was uh, uh, then the PVV responded to this by uh, putting a motion to the vote that called on to. Uh, take away all the European flags on uh, Dutch governmental buildings. Mm. Um, and that one was followed by a motion by uh, Caroline van der Plas of the Boerenburgerbeweging, and she wanted to have all the provincial flags in the Tweede Kamer. So <laughs> uh, all of them were uh, 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 didn't pass the votes, but uh, yeah, we had a lot of flags, uh, flag-related uh, yeah. uh, stuff it, it, in the Tweede Kamer so this week. This, this country is uh, starting to regress towards uh, becoming uh, the next Northern Ireland with all the t- ridiculous discussions about <laughs> flags <laughs> yeah well yeah, especially yeah. at the moment as you can't avoid avoid orange ones anywhere yes, can you exactly indeed that's a very nice uh, transition to the up of the week uh Robin, well done. Because this uh, this time it comes from uh, the famous Orange Street in The Hague. Uh, we talked about that, I think, two episodes ago. Uh, the Haagse Marktweg is completely covered with orange flags and decorations in support of the Dutch national football team at the European Championships. Uh, and it was proclaimed the most beautiful orange streets in the Netherlands three weeks ago. And beautiful is, uh, yeah, it's a... Uh, it, 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 uh, it's a very uh, elastic concept, that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the people living there were told the mayor of The Hague would visit the street to congratulate them with this uh, uh, questionable title, but unbeknownst to him, he brought with him a special guest, none other than King Willem-Alexander himself. Uh, The king was welcomed enthusiastically by everyone in the street, and this resulted in an impromptu street party. An ophef broke loose, Uh, however, when videos of the king's visit started to emerge on social media, Willem-Alexander could be seen shaking hands with people, taking selfies with them, and uh, there was no uh, one and a half meter distance uh, maintained uh, throughout the visit mm. and he didn't wear uh, a mask either and he didn't wear a mask but he was outside yeah. so that wasn't close required. to people yeah 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, Prime Minister Mark Rutte, who is uh, constitutionally responsible for everything the king says or does, responded on Friday evening. He said that he was disappointed, but also added that we shouldn't make it too big. The king not following rules brought to memory the major upheaval when the king went on holiday to Greece last summer, while the rest of the country was asked to stay at home, even though uh, this time the upheaval was not nearly as large. Yeah. So Rutte seems th- to spend a lot of his time these days apologizing for what the king does. It's, uh, yeah. it's been increasingly yeah. large part of his job. Yeah, yeah. well, it is part. It yeah. is constitutionally a major part I know, of his yeah. job. Now course. he's caretaker prime minister. Is he also yeah. caretaker um, <laughs> responsibility? Is he responsible for the king in the caretaker capacity? He's Willem-Alexander babysitter, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's basically what he is, yeah. Um, yeah, I think the OPEF wasn't that large because um, I think a lot of people are expecting that the coronavirus is coming to an end uh, we basically all uh, have our vaccines or we have have it at least planned um, but you know there is a, a delta variant coming up and uh, uh, hopefully um, uh, so it, but it is possible that uh, uh, the corona crisis is uh, not nearly uh, coming to an end no and also but there was i mean the last time people were, 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 were there was a personal sacrifice involved you know people were not going on holiday because the government had told them yeah. not to and then there was a king swanning off to greece so that's what really got people yeah the, 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 there wasn't any element of that here that's true yeah. as well yeah yeah, I think it was a, a bit hard actually on the king. All that we know, he's a you know he's a huge and spontaneous sports fan. You know, he's been known to jump over the barricades to congratulate a, a team for winning. Yeah, so you yeah. know, it was a bit. I thought, yeah, he most of it was elbow bumping and all that. And you know, as for a mask, you don't have to wear masks outside. So you know, what was the problem? I mean, the problem really was the big crowd, if you like, and that's yeah, not yeah, allowed. Yeah. And that the mayor, you know, could have put a stop to, but you can't really blame the king for that. No, that's right. I think they sh- um, uh, it was it was a nice gesture to visit this street, but you know, uh, uh, at that visit, uh, everyone could see coming that it would generate so much, uh, such a crowd, and uh, uh, yeah, I think they would would have it would have been better to to uh, to not come to them. Yeah, I and think. it was it was supposedly it was supposed to be a surprise visit, but it, uh, I'm I'm guessing that someone somewhere to tipped a few people off because there was a much bigger crowd crowd than they'd expected just from the mayor. Oh, I don't, they I don't think young from Zams. Nah, as soon as the word's yeah. gone out, the king's there, everybody yeah. will go and have a look. Yeah, I exactly. Mean, uh... Yeah. This week, more corona restrictions have been lifted, even though the Delta variant is looming in the shadows. The formation of a new cabinet is still in an impasse. Mark Rutte is leading the EU's opposition against Hungary's new anti-gay law, lots of orange success in Europe, and a painting by Rembrandt is finally complete. As we were just saying, the Delta variant of the coronavirus will become the dominant strain in the Netherlands within a couple of weeks. Around 40% of all infections in Amsterdam are already caused by the Delta strain, according to the public health agency, RAVN. That's up from just 7% a couple of weeks ago, and the rest of the country is expected to follow suit in the next week or two. The RAVM's figures also show that people returning from trips abroad now account for 8% of all infections, and 300 out of the 471 travellers who tested positive had been to Portugal or Spain. The Portuguese capital, Lisbon, went back into lockdown at the weekend to try to contain a surge in cases caused by the Delta variant, and the Fefe de and Desesestef parties have called for a testing station to be set up at Schiphol Airport to test people flying into the country. Nice of them to have that idea. Only what is it, sixteen months into the pandemic? <laughs> well, there was yeah. one for a bit, but but but, Gorn, what impact is Delta having on the numbers? Really, I mean, do we really need to be concerned? 
Well, the thing is, uh, at the moment in the Netherlands, you've got to say it's not having any great impact at all. I mean, we've been going down steadily by about 35% every week, and that was confirmed in this week's figures from the IVM as well. But of course, everyone's looking nervously across the UK, where the Delta took over earlier at the start of May, and the cases have been going up by around 50% week on week. And I think yesterday they had 16,000 cases in a day, whereas we're down to you know 5,000 in a week. Even with a quarter of the population, that's still a much smaller proportion. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the total number of cases now is uh, the last week was 5,714. And, you know, in the middle of May, that was the kind of number we were saying per day here uh, in the Netherlands. And also 160 people were admitted to hospital last week, including 32 intensive care cases. And again, those were daily figures a month ago. But the Delta strain is more contagious uh, by a factor of around uh, at least 40%. And most experts expect the cases will start rising again as it becomes more dominant. The question is, how much will they rise? Will we see a little wave um, or a big one? And I guess that depends on really how effective the vaccines are. The, the, good, the good thing is that we've happened to have been giving every, almost everybody uh, the two vaccines that are most effective against this Delta variant, which are the Pfizer and the Moderna ones. Whereas in the UK, lots of people have had AstraZeneca, which seems to be less, less, uh, yeah, less effective. Um, but even in places like Amsterdam and Atkoi, which have got more Delta relatively than the rest of the country, cases are still going down. And what you expect to see is the cases will flatline, will slow down first and then flatline and then go back up again. But even now, they're not really slowing down. And also, the positive test rate has got below 4%, which is significant for inter in, in the European context, because the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control say that if you have uh, less than less than four percent positive tests uh, then it will uh, then it's not so worried about how many cases you have you can have up to 150 a week uh, and still be in their green zone which has consequences for whether or not uh, your systems are allowed to travel around the rest of Europe um, yeah speaking of traveling there has been a scramble for the uh, Janssen vaccine hasn't there? there has indeed uh, have you put yours Paul I uh, I got an appointment yeah you got an appointment so you're gonna have the Janssen vaccine Tomorrow, yes. Brilliant. So, well, lucky you, because they're in quite short supply. There's only about... Well, not lucky me. I have to go to Rijswijk for it. Well, that's not so lucky. But then, well, <laughs> I, would, I would say my, my son, who's 18, and he got priority because of uh, for medical reasons. Uh, he uh, he went to Rijswijk for his vaccine, and he suffered no ill effects. So mm. you, you should be okay. Okay, no, yeah. uh, no Rijswijk side <laughs> no, effects. Yeah, there's okay, no Rijswijk strain, as far as we can tell. <laughs> I mean, it is a strain just to go to Rijswijk. It's uh, a strain to go there, yeah, indeed. <laughs> other than that, you're fine. My son um, got, got, got one as well, actually, by the way. He sort of jumped the queue, but he said it was right. like... it was more difficult than getting a ticket to go to Lowlands was trying to get through. He was, uh... <laughs> yeah, the, vac the Anson vaccine is, is a popular choice because uh, it's a single dose vaccine. Uh, it was taken yeah. out of the regular um, vaccine program because there were concerns in, in, a, in a handful of very rare cases it, it causes severe blood clotting. So they took it out of the regular uh, program. Uh, but then they decided to let people have the choice of having Janssen if they wanted to uh, get their vaccine passport earlier so they could go on holiday this summer. The only thing is there's only, there's only 200,000 doses, which is partly because there were delivery problems with Janssen's parent company, Johnson & Johnson. So, you know, again, uh, following the rule that uh, all bad things associated with yeah. this vaccine are, are blamed on Johnson & Johnson. Very good. So, um, it's, it's, yeah, so because there's uh, very limited doses, uh, there's been a big scramble and the phone line basically broke down on Wednesday morning uh, when yeah. the lines opened uh, because so many people were trying to get through and book their appointment. And obviously the, the Anson vaccine is only available if you haven't been vaccinated yet. So it is mostly younger people who are eligible for this. You've got the patience to make all those phone calls and phone calls and phone calls yeah. and phone calls yeah. to get through. 
Well, I I called twice and then I got through. So I uh, I was very lucky uh, because there were people who called for hundreds of times uh, to get a vaccine, a crazy amount. Um, Hugo de Jonge said that there were 3.6 million calls uh, and that only resulted in uh, 70,000 yeah. appointments. That was that yeah. was up to six o'clock. By the end of the day, it was 5.5 million. Can you believe? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So people, that makes it sound like everyone who gets an appointment has to make about a thousand phone calls or something crazy. Yeah, there were, oh yeah, now I see it, 5.3 million phone calls by 222,000 callers. So they had to, yeah, people called on average, uh, what is it, 25 times. Yeah, yeah, but some, some, most of them just gave up, but some some people just called hundreds of times. I mean, uh, they desperately wanted to have the answer vaccine for some reason. But but yeah, um, uh, if I, uh, I also was scheduled for uh, a vaccine uh, today, originally, uh, and then I would get my second um, jab. um, End of July sometime, right? The end of July, yeah, uh, July uh, 31st. So yeah, it is the, the main pro of the Janssen vaccine is, of course, is that a single jab. And uh, yeah, I uh, I understand that people just want to get rid of it. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, you have to wait uh, two weeks after you've finished your your vaccine schedule before you can actually get your Corona passport. So yeah. you'd have had to wait yeah. till mid-August before you were allowed to travel on your vaccine passport. Spare a thought for us ancient people who have to wait, you know, 12 <laughs> weeks for our next AstraZeneca, which, you know, I didn't get mine until July. And I was vaccinated months ago it's a it's a mm-hmm. never ending i do think the whole thing about the answer thing is really ironic they took it out because they said oh there's a bit of a risk and nobody cares everybody wants yeah. that vaccine <laughs> you know exactly yeah yeah and the corona passport app because we have another app by hugo de jong is also uh, um, uh, has been marked a little bit in the past week because um, uh, uh, hugo de jong announced that uh, this app only allows 25 logins per second uh, which is a ridiculously low mm. amount uh, of capacity. Uh, and that basically means that if everyone wants to download this app and wants to log in, then, uh, you know, it takes uh, a couple of days yeah. before everyone uh, did this yeah. app can process it. Are, are they still but using a server from 2005 or something? I mean, what? I, I guess, I don't know. I mean, I don't understand who came up with, with, uh, with, with such a low uh, capacity. Yeah. I mean, that's just crazy in this day, day of age to yeah. have... To allow only so so twenty five logins, that's just crazy <laughs> per second. I mean, but yeah, um, I mean, Hugo de Jonge, he is getting a lot of praise uh, recently uh, uh, for for the vaccine program that's uh, coming up to steam. Yeah. So yeah, we just need some some reason for him to uh, uh, to criticize him. Indeed. I think. Because, Otherwise, uh, do you would, think uh, he might end up as our health minister in the next government? <laughs> <laughs> do we yeah, have I a know, government we, yet? I mean, are we yeah. going to get one? No, we need to restore balance in the yeah, universe. He, he's, acquiring, he's acquiring a dangerous veneer of competence, which needs to, exactly, be, uh, needs yeah. to be challenged. But luckily, we can always trust Hugo de Jonge to challenge his own competence. <laughs> After five weeks and more than 17 meetings, informateur Mariette Hamer concluded in her final report on the coalition negotiations that the formation process has reached an impasse. Hamer thoughtfully presented her report to the Tweede Kamer an hour after we finished recording the previous episode mm-hmm. on Friday. They do it despite as well. Yeah, she always does yeah. that. 
in her report, she wrote that she doesn't see irreconcilable ideological or substantive differences between the six political parties left, but progress is frustrated by political strategic reasons. VVD and CDA don't want two left-wing parties. D66 doesn't want ChristenUnie. And as a result, the formation cannot go to the next phase of an in-depth negotiations between parties yet. Hamer gave the six party leaders three options on how to proceed. All negotiations would start with all six parties, or the beginning of a coalition agreement has to be written by either the VVD or the VVD and D66 together. She basically gave them homework over the weekend, right? Yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah. That document would then be uh, the basis for further negotiations, and it would be up to other parties to join in or not. Meanwhile, the Belgian Prime Minister, Alexander de Croo, who visited The Hague this week, warned that a long formation can give the impression of ungovernability. And if the Belgians are warning <laughs> against that, then you know things are not looking good. If, if we get to the point where we're, being, where we're being unfavorably compared to the Belgians, then things have gone seriously badly wrong. You know, I don't, I don't know what... The- the trouble what the what the fuss is all about the co- the country runs without a government mm. you know i mean it's fine in be- better in some ways in fact seem. are you are you telling me paul though if you, you look at it all like this that actually everything that we've gone through since the the, the election the last hundred days or so has all been for nothing well, luckily, luckily not. Uh, Hamer did manage to find consensus on topics that need to be addressed in the next coalition agreement. Um, these topics include tackling inequality in education and the job market, the reform of the tax and the dreaded Toeslager system. Uh, sustainability of the economy is also a topic and of course the housing crisis and healthcare in light of the uh, pandemic. Um, the plan is that Mark Rutte of the VVD and Sigrid Kaag of D66 will start writing a document uh, that will form the basis of further negotiations based on these seven topics. And uh, they will do this together with Hamer, who uh, was also reappointed as uh, informateur by the Tweede Kamer on Wednesday. Um, this process will take several weeks, it is expected, but Hamer hopes that this can be done in less than a month. Uh, even though Hamer said the formation has reached an impasse, she remains optimistic that a cabinet can eventually be formed. Even though she has said that, uh, you know, the main issue is that that uh, there are per- personal uh, differences between them, right? But I don't know how a uh, substantive document can uh, can can bridge these uh, these personal differences. I thought the whole point was that that advice from everybody was don't do an in detail yeah. document, do a nice mm. simple thing, and and then we yeah. then then we're kind of done. If you have a too detailed coalition agreement, then uh, Parliament is, uh, is is kind of hamstrung because everything's been decided uh, behind closed doors before it's actually brought uh, into the debating chamber. Yeah, the, the idea is that this, uh, this, this initial document is not too detailed. Um, um, uh, they always say it's, it has to be on hoofdlijnen. Uh, I don't know what the English translation for that in is. But terms, I mean, kind of in yeah. broad terms, basically, yeah. So uh, there needs to be room for negotiation, of course. And also, if Kaag and uh, Rutte are going to write this together and they want to um, you know, get other parties on board, they also have to think about um, uh, the standpoints of the other parties. So they really have to write it in broad terms because otherwise uh, uh, other political parties will not be willing to join. Yeah, I guess the, the, the big um, kind of elephant of the room in a way is the way that the CDR has just dropped out of its uh, is no longer in the front line of these negotiations, right? I mean, now it seems to be Rutte and Kach are steaming ahead and uh, Hoekstra is busy on the sidelines trying to sort out the multiple crises in his own party. 
So I guess yeah, that well, changed that, that's no, yeah. that's not a change compared to the beginning of the negotiations because uh, Hoekstra always said that um, uh, his party lost a number of seats. He 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 didn't see, uh, you know, a main role for himself uh, in the in the formation uh, process. So that hasn't changed. He always said that uh, Rutte and Kaag needs to change take the lead as the winners of the of the election. Um, but you know there are major problems in his party right now. Of course, after Peter Omzicht left. Mm. Um, that hasn't led to an exodus of of his party, mainly because Peter Omzicht is still at home recovering from uh, from overwork. But if um, uh, Peter Omzicht returns, I believe at the end of September, um, yeah, it's th- the question remains: what what is he going to do? Is he starting his own party? Will other CDA MPs um, uh, 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 join Omzicht in his new party? We we don't know what Omzicht's plan is, but there is definitely um, a major crisis. Uh, uh, looming for um, for uh, for Wopke Hoekstra. Yeah. So, Paul, Paul, do you think that what we're actually going to end up with is a, a coalition agreement of broad topics? We're going to take these, and we're actually going to have a minority cabinet where they look for support for different parties for different topics. <laughs> Uh, that could be if if they decide to um, to to have this enormous uh, uh, coalition of five parties, then I don't see how you can uh, uh, make this a workable solution if you don't have a detailed uh, agreement. Uh, if you don't have that, then the parties need to to meet in back rooms again and to discuss what they're going to do on certain topics whenever something pops up. You know, there's not the there's not a change in the administrative culture that everybody desperately wants. But uh, I think indeed that a minority cabinet. And it's not not su- not su- such a small uh, a minority, right? If CDA, yeah. De Sesester, and VVD decide to uh, go into a minority cabinet, then they have, I believe, seventy. Uh, three seats now, um, seventy-two. If Peter Omzicht uh, uh, actually leaves. Um, that is a workable solution. You can just hmm. find impromptu coalitions for all sorts of topics, and you can do that in the openness of uh, of a plenary debate or a commission debate. That would be, I think, the the the, the best workable uh, uh, solution um, in terms of the new administrative culture that everybody desperately wants, and it's also just a better solution than have a five-party coalition, I think. Yeah, uh, we've actually got a, um, a question on this uh, from one of our long-standing patrons, uh, Vega Odluknes, uh, who said, uh, what, what if uh, the coalition agreement uh, included a, uh, uh, an agreement by Pefedian who links to Fuse, so that you only have one left-wing party? Would that make it more appealing to the CDA and Fefede? That's a, that's an interesting question. Um, the the criticism by by Rutte and uh, Hoekstra seems to be that they don't want to uh, have a coalition with two uh, left wing parties. But would that change if? Wouldn't this left wing party be too large? Uh, it would be big. Wouldn't uh, it? It would have a lot big. of seats. It would be it would be big. Yeah. Um, but would it be too big? I don't know. Um, could it maybe put off the CDR because they'll be much smaller than well not much smaller but they will be smaller than this uh, combined party you know what I think it's it's hard to say yeah, yeah. it's uh, uh, I, I I don't see them joining uh, in the near future uh, um, I mean they should but I don't see them joining in, in the near future so it's a very hypothetical question but yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know how to answer this. What, do you have any thoughts on this, uh, Gordon? No, I, th- I think uh, I, I think I broadly agree with you. The, theoretically, I think it's quite attractive, but I don't think those two parties are quite ready to join forces yet. Even though, as we said before, say PVDR are basically Hoon uh, links for boomers and Hoon links are say the PVDR for millennials. <laughs> but uh, you know, yeah. I mean, they're very similar in policy terms. But I think they, uh, yeah, they're not quite the point where they're prepared to uh, to join forces. But I think actually that could almost be I mean, if they did, or even if they didn't. That, that one solution could be that uh, well, if, if there was one party then maybe you could have a three-way cabinet between Fefe Day say, uh, sorry, Fefe Day Zestach and this left-wing combination that would give you a, a big minority uh, administration as, as well, well. Yeah. and it would uh, yeah, mean that Volker Hoekstra wouldn't be in this bind of having to go into cabinet with a weakened party that's right yeah, yeah. Well, well, talking of merged parties, of course... No, I was going to do oh. so. Oh. <laughs> talking of unlikely mergings, uh, Robin... Yeah, well, there was big news from the world of commercial <laughs> television this week with the announcement that Talpa and RTL Nederland plan to merge. RTL Nederland will have 70% of the shares in the new company, Talpa and its owner, John de Mol, the rest... All the channels which are currently operated by the two broadcasters will remain for the time being at least. So all the channels, uh, h- how many are we talking about? Uh, well, yes, quite a lot, actually. Uh, RTL yeah. Nadelon's brands include RTL4, RTL5, RTL7, RTL8 <laughs> and RTLZ and streaming service Videoland. While Talpas are SBS6, that's why there's no RTL6, by the way. Veronica, yeah. Net5, Radio 538 and Sky Radio. So if the merger is approved, it would mean all the Dutch language commercial broadcasters, with the exception of the SPN Sports Channel, would be in the hands of one company. What about Eurosport? Uh, Eurosport's Eurosport. not really... It's not not a Dutch channel per no, se in that sense. No, I mean, this is no. the Dutch language ones we're talking yeah, yeah. about here. Yeah, and yeah. that's one of the problems. I mean... That's yeah, so you're so re- basically creating a commercial monopoly then? Well, yeah, effectively you are when it comes to the traditional commercial broadcasters. And both the Dutch and the European competition authorities have to have their say first. And it's, you know, anyone's guess what, what their response will be. I mean, Talpa's John de Mol. And by the way, I don't know if you know that Talpa is Latin for mole, which is what oh. his name is. Uh, John de Mol says that the merger is crucial to in- ensure that the commercial sector remains financially stable and fight off the threat posed by US and Chinese and other streaming services, which of course are eating more and more of the traditional broadcasters' audience and the advertising streams. I don't know anyone under the age of 25 who has a TV, for example. They just watch streaming all the time. Mm. And in one sense, of course, Demol's right, uh, but you do have to ask how many hours of ghastly reality soaps full of people in bikinis or even less we need on the telly. After all, it's worth pointing out here that John DeMole is the one who made his fortune from Big Brother, the first of the reality soaps, which has spawned hundreds, if not thousands more. Mm, far too many, in any case. Yeah, far too many indeed. Yeah, uh, uh, it also reminds me a little bit of the, the, the Belgian monopoly that's currently on the newspaper market. Mm. Um, a lot of newspapers in the Netherlands are all. owned by the same publisher. Just about all hmm? of them, yeah. Just about all. Yeah, all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah apart yeah, from yeah. the Financiële Dark Blood, all the rest are, yeah. 
do you really want to have monopolies on on uh, in the media? That, that doesn't seem to be yeah. a very good idea. Um, yeah. So yeah, we will. Uh, but but this merger still has to be approved, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. No, it has to, have to be have to approved. And, and I mean, if we're talking about what they actually show, they all show the same loads and loads of you know imported stuff from That's America right. and the UK. <laughs> Although the EU will be putting a stop to all that unlimited UK stuff that they're showing now. Though the UK falls outside the the quota for domestic production, so that'll make a difference. But, you know, there's so much choice and you really have to ask if we do need, you know, how many how many chat shows are there on in an evening on Dutch telly? Oh, way too oh, many, way, way too many. Yeah. You, know, it's yeah. hun- you know, they just there's same a, old the, guests. It, exactly, it, there's only about five guests that just rotate around uh, these various chat shows. Yeah. And it's so, the same concept, right? Yeah. It's a uh, number of guests on the table Sitting around and everyone the table. can join yeah. in and give your, uh, uh, your unrelevant, everyone can give their unrelevant opinions yeah. on, on topics that they don't know anything about. Yeah. And here's, a re- yeah. Yeah, here's a revolutionary idea. A Dutch broadcaster that actually uses comfortable furniture in its chat shows. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you mean a couch? Because there was Opefer with uh, uh, about the couch that Eva Jinek had yeah. on our first uh, talk show. Did, did, yeah. she, did she abolish the castings as well? No. Cool. Castings, yeah. yeah aspersions, yeah, yeah. aspersions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They have they have always these snacks on on the table, right, to make it gezellig. But yeah. nobody ever uh, eats them or anything. That's uh, if if I was a guest on a talk show, then my first action would be <laughs> to take a cast and to to eat it and ruin ruin the uh, the broadcast. Mm-hmm. I've I've always turned them down. I I've been asked several times and I've always said no. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to go on a TV talk show what? and talk about. They always asked me to go in and talk about Britain, and it was like yeah. I've lived here for thirty <laughs> years. I don't know what the score over there is anymore. <laughs> If you prefer a more discerning and diverse media diet from endless uh, people on beaches in bikinis, why not uh, become a sponsor of the Dutch News Podcast on Patreon? For as little as one euro a month, uh, you can help us to help you make sense of the tangled coalition negotiations, the coronavirus pandemic, and of course keep you up to speed with what's going on in the European Championships. This week we say hello and thank you very much uh, to one new patron, uh, Saeed Arbabi, uh, who is a PhD student in Utrecht. Uh, he says he's been in the Netherlands for two years, uh, originally came from Iran. Thank you very much indeed to you, Saeed, thank for you. your generous support. If you'd like to join Saeed and our growing army of, uh, of, of patrons, no longer socially distanced now that uh, Hugo de Jong has abolished <laughs> all the rules, uh, but nevertheless uh, very supportive, uh, please log on to www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Dutch News NL. Yeah, we will promise not to wear any bikinis, but you yeah. won't see them anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, but, we, but we can give a solemn pledge that we are not wearing bikinis. Yeah. yeah. God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Or I'm not eating castings either. Oh, no, no, that would ruin the podcast. <laughs> Next week I will eat castings. Prime Minister Mark Rutte has condemned Hungary's controversial law that prohibits the promotion of homosexuality. The new law includes a ban on broadcasting television programs and films which feature gay characters before 11pm and teaching sex education in schools will be limited to heterosexuality and can only be done by people approved by the government. Rutte was among the EU leaders who signed a declaration that called the Hungarian law unworthy of the EU. At the start of the EU summit in Brussels this week, Rutte told journalists that 
if Hungary refuses to withdraw the, the law, then there is, as far as he is concerned, no place for Hungary in the EU. This is such a fundamental point that if we let that go, we are nothing more than a trading bloc and a currency, he said. See, I, I found that a fascinating quote from Grutter, because yeah, throughout I his career, so. he's basically said the EU should not be anything more than a trading bloc and a currency. Yeah, he always says we need EU where we must and not where we can. But uh, yeah, he seems to... Uh, it's a total U-turn. He has taken little U-turn, but I mean, there is there is a shared set of values that we have in the EU and uh, that is... Uh, well, apparently not, Paul, actually. We will come to that later, yeah. <laughs> um, Rutte also said that the gay-free zones in Poland are also an issue that needs to be tackled. Uh, and after the summit, Rutte said it had been an emotional meeting, especially when Prime Minister of Luxembourg, Xavier Bettel, who is married to a man, made a very emotional call for action. Rutte added that he had never witnessed EU leaders speaking so plainly before, and he said he told Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban that if you don't like it, there's an alternative, leave the EU. The new Hungarian law led to protest in other places as well, for example, at the European Championship, uh, which we will talk about uh, after this, but also in The Hague. GroenLinks MP Laura Bromet wore a rainbow-colored sweater yesterday in Parliament, and MP Sophie Hermans, who is the uh, number two of the favorite day, hang a rainbow flag outside of her office window, which happens to be right above the Stadthouderkamer, where Mariette Hamer holds her meetings. Rutte did admit that a member state cannot be expelled from the European Union, but the uh, European Commission is looking into possible legal action against the law. It's kind of interesting to me that uh, this seems to be the red line for Hungary, even though they've been flouting the rule of law for several years since Orban came to power, that uh, Orban has uh, basically now made the media government monopoly, that he takes EU subsidies and builds football stadiums in his home village. All of that's tolerated. But uh, And then suddenly, without wishing to belittle the issue of LGBT rights, which is very important, the fact that you know, the, the, all of that was uh, accepted or or, or or swept under the carpet, and then suddenly this is this is the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's also very interesting that Rutter's being so outspoken on this when he's actually, you know, only in a caretaker role. And we have to ask, you know, should he have actually talked to Parliament first, you know, before he went out spouting spouting all this uh, to, to reporters? I mean, it's dominated the press coverage of the summit so far. Every yeah, yeah. foreign newspaper's picked up on it. BBC had a big thing. You know, it's Rutter, Rutter, Rutter mm. says, get out Hungary. And you do kind of think, hmm... Is this really what you should be doing? Um, I personally think it is. But, you know, I know that people have sort of said perhaps this is just going to backfire in the long run. I think in a constitutional sense, you have a point, you know, in, in terms of the, the, as, a, as a principal stance, I think it's, it's a very admirable thing for Rutter to do. But there is certainly Rutter never does anything without calculating it uh, in detail beforehand. He obviously sees this as a good PR move as well. For him, for himself, I think at a point when he's having a tricky time putting a government together, so it gives him some good, uh, some good free publicity. Yeah, and there's also another national component uh, attached to this because you know we have several political parties in the Tweede Kamer who has supported Viktor Orbán in the past on many occasions. Uh, uh, Geert Wilders of of the PVV visited Orbán on several occasions, I believe, in Hungary as well. And of course, Thierry Baudet, Forum for Democracy, um, um, uh, they are always. Um, uh, defending Orbán and his policies, yeah. um, so he is basically by uh, by uh, criticizing Orbán and this law. He's also saying, um, look at these other two parties w- with which kind of people th- they're cozying up to. And and Wilders has been on Twitter already saying, you know, we're not all like him. He's mad, and he shouldn't be saying that kind of thing. So you know, it's definitely uh, not gone unnoticed, shall we say? 
Yeah, and there, the, the, there was a motion in Parliament condemning the Hungarian law, and uh, the parties that opposed it were PFF, um, the Forum for Democratie, Jain and Twintach, which is a split off from the Forum for Democratie, um, and I think uh, Caroline de Plas, Van der Plas, uh, the Farmers' Party as well. And, and SKP too. As oh, well as SKP, sorry, not the Bourbonvig. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was SKP. One other final detail, I think. Rutter said uh, that he can't he can't remember European leaders speaking so frankly to each other, which I think is Rutter's. Uh, I think the Italians can probably remember European leaders uh, being very critical <laughs> about other other European countries uh, in in the last eleven years. But I think that's maybe Rutter's famous memory at work. <laughs> his uh, his famous selective memory. Yes. Yeah. We're heading for Hungary. We're still going there anyway, aren't we? Gordon. We are, yes, uh, because it's the next destination for the Netherlands football team. After winning all their group matches at Euro 2020 in Amsterdam, Orania will kick off their second round match against the Czech Republic in Budapest on Saturday evening. The captain, uh, Jorginho Wijnaldum, has said he'll wear a rainbow one-love armband for the game, quote, to show that we stand for inclusiveness and unity. UEFA has got its knickers in a right twist uh, over the rainbow flag uh, during the tournament. Um, it uh, started an investigation into the German Football Federation because of the goalkeeper Manuel Neuer, he wore a rainbow armband during a game, which UEFA said was a political statement. Neuer then said, uh, actually, I've been wearing this armband throughout Pride Month and uh, no one's mentioned it before, at which point hmm. UEFA backtracked. UEFA then put the rainbow flag on their Twitter profile because they said, we decided, it's, well, yeah. now I've had to think about it, we think it's not a political statement, and then immediately made uh, what I think anyone, uh, even if you support it, would agree was a political statement on Twitter by uh, saying uh, that we, we we believe in uh, equal equal rights for all people. Well, it's, it isn't the worst armband the Germans ever wore. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Munich was banned from uh, lighting up the Allianz Arena in rainbow colours uh, when Germany played Hungary on Wednesday night uh, because UEFA uh, decided that was too political because it was aimed directly at the Hungarian parliament. So a complete mess, basically. And uh, now, yeah. uh, obviously, Munich then decided to uh, decorate other buildings in rainbow colours, hang rainbow flags. And of course, players are going to um, um, make a statement on the pitch during the second round game on Saturday as well. And other German stadiums reacted by uh, lighting their stadiums in the in the colours of the rainbow flag, yeah. didn't they? Yeah, indeed they did. Yes. Um, okay, so let's get back to Orania then. Will fans be able to watch them on the big screens as as is tradition? Uh, yes, they will, because uh, Saturday is the day when most of the lockdown restrictions are going to be lifted, which means that although people still have to keep one and a half metres apart, you no longer have to, have to wear your mask in the supermarkets. You can gather in much uh, larger groups as well, uh, outdoors at any rate. And uh, straight away, the question was, uh, does that mean that uh, people will be able to watch the match on big screens uh, in, in bars and cafes? And the four big cities have all agreed that they can. They've given the bars to go ahead to, to put up big screens to show the game, as long as people stay seated and they keep one and a half metres apart. They won't be allowed okay. to show the game on big screens in parks and public spaces because that would class as an event. And events aren't allowed until June the 30th. So they'll have to wait uh, to see if they go through to the next round because then their, their, uh, their quarterfinal game will be on the 3rd of July. And that will be against either Wales or Denmark if they beat the Czech Republic. I'm very interested to see if we get a little spike then after Saturday's matches. Yes. Because, uh, um, I mean, one and a half metres and sitting down, watching in your par- in your local bar with all your mates of football for the first time that you haven't been able to do it for a year. I don't it's think clearly so not going to happen, is it? The only thing is, I suppose, people no. will be outdoors and infections are much lower. So perhaps we won't get a little spike after all. Well, let's hope so. And let's hope Orania win too. Yes, indeed. 
But the success wasn't just limited to uh, kickballs this week, wasn't it? Uh, no, uh, just sort of bring back uh, Molly's favourite word there for, for, for nostalgic reasons. But uh, no, <laughs> Max Verstappen won a dramatic French Grand Prix on Sunday to extend his lead in the Formula One Drivers' Championship. Uh, Verstappen looked like he'd, he'd uh, thrown away the race on the second corner. He went off the track, uh, having qualified in pole position, and that meant Lewis Hamilton was able to slip by. Uh, but the Red Bull team improvised brilliantly, added in an extra pit stop so that Verstappen could chase down Hamilton on fresh tyres, and on the penultimate lap he overtook his British rival to loud cheers from the Dutch fans. Verstappen called it uh, the, one of the finest victories of my career. He's now 12 points clear of Hamilton in the title race after 7 of the 23 races, and the next two Grand Prix are going to be in Austria, which is Red Bull's home circuit, and also a circuit where Verstappen has won twice before. So the, the portents are good. Yeah, yeah. It's great the way we adopt for Stappen. I mean, is he Dutch, really? He's Belgian, I mean, isn't I don't he? know. He's Belgian. <laughs> no, he's isn't Belgian. He? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or is he? Um, how do you call it? a person from Monaco? Uh, Monegasque. Yeah. Monegasque. Yeah, that's where he lives, yeah. of course. Uh, basically, yeah. the Belgians are taking over everything, aren't they? I mean, they're, 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 they've now <laughs> taken over our, our motor racing. They, they've taken over our media, and they've taken over our whole process of forming governments. Yeah, and our speed uh, speed cyclists as well. I also understand that, that Belgians claim the Janssen vaccine, which the Americans call the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, that the Belgians claim it's their own as well. So uh, They definitely call it the Janssen & Janssen vaccine then. Yes. That's a Tintin reference. It is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for explaining. <laughs> to explain that to people who are a bit lost. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Important Dutch culture that needs explaining to foreigners. Definitely. Belgian culture. Belgian culture. Important Belgian culture that yes. needs explaining to all foreigners who live in the Netherlands, obviously. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. It was very impressive by uh, by by uh, Max Verstappen, uh, uh, indeed. And um, when they when he won when he was on the podium, the French band that played the Dutch national anthem, um, they really didn't practice the Dutch national anthem, I think, because it sounded horrible. It was it was terrible. And for some reason, they never have problems with the German national anthem there. It's very strange. You have to stop these aspersions, Paul. <laughs> no. It's dreadful. We'd lose about half of the pod podcast content if uh, Paul didn't throw in gratuitous references to the Nazis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's so Dutch. He's so Dutch. All right, let's talk about other very Dutch things then, rather than teasing the Germans. Let's uh, let's talk about Rembrandt and let's talk about the Night Watch. It's always very fun to talk about Rembrandt. Yeah. Well, ever since I've been in this country, I've heard stories about the missing bits of his most famous painting, the Night Watch. And now after 30 years, the uh, mystery's finally been solved, for me at least. Um, the painting that takes pride of place in the Rijksmuseum is actually a chunk smaller than when Rembrandt painted it, because in 1715, town officials took their knives to the canvas and hacked off a bit, well, quite a few bits, so it would fit into a specific room. Yeah. Can you imagine that someone says, yeah, we need to hang this Rembrandt painting somewhere, but it's too large. Let's just cut a huge chunk of it yeah well apparently they made the move they moved it anyway because he was a bit famous by then already they were concerned about where it had been hanging um so they they moved it to it, it is it is unpractically large indeed yeah we have to admit that well all these pictures of the Stadtwachter are are enormous i yeah. mean you can you yeah. can see them you know in various places and they are absolutely gigantic 
But, you know, fortunately, there were, it, because Rembrandt was a bit famous, there were some copies. Um, and one of those attributed to a certain Gerrit Lundens, and it's, which is on long-term loan from the National Gallery of London, has been used by the Rijksmuseum to recreate the impression of how the original painting looked in its entirety by using artificial intelligence. In effect, what they've done is they've used AI to transform the edges of the painting as copied by London's into Rembrandt's own distinct style. Hmm, interesting. So how does that change the picture when you look at it? Well, the most significant change is that the central characters, the guy in white, for example, that the light's shining on, he's actually off to the left. And that gives the painting a much more lively sense of movement. Um, whoever snipped the pieces off clearly thought about it. Uh, they decided he should be in the middle and they cut off some bystanders, kept the man with the drum, but cut off his back. And in the new look picture, you can see the railings of a bridge. They make it clear that the group are actually marching, uh, not standing still statically. Uh, there's sky at the top and shadows at the bottom and there's fuzzy pictures of people looking at them as well. So it gives it much more movement uh, and much more of a kind of we're walking through the city kind of feeling. Yeah, than you get. it's kind of the 18th century, kind of the 18th century equivalent of putting a picture on Instagram that's in the wrong shape. <laughs> you've got to decide which bits to crop out. Yeah, so. absolutely. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and if Rembrandt had been around, he'd have been writing angry lawyers' letters saying you've cropped my picture. Yeah. You know, it's not exactly. On, it's yes. Not on. Yeah. You know, one of the things about the the computer, uh, it can't actually do the painting, of course, but it does. Uh, it did also manage to. Um, predict how the ageing would look. So the newly restored missing sections have actually got cracks in them as well, just to make oh. it look more authentic. Oh. Ah, Very impressive. Yes, crack lure. Uh, you've, you've been watching Tussen uh, Kunst uh, and Kitsch, Gordon. You know, you know your art historical terms. No, it's just more actually, I got that for, I learned that when I was reading a book about, um, what's it called, uh, Han van Meegen, who painted the forged Vermeer's um, oh. just before the Second yeah. World War, and the one is his his technique, the, the way the way he fooled the experts was he worked out a way of how to use bakelite, um, you know, mix bakelite into his into his paints, and then put the paint in the oven so it looked as if it was, and then it cracked in exactly the right huh. manner, so it looked as if it was centuries old. Oh, impressive, yeah. Do yeah. do we know the full title of the Nachtwacht? Well, not the full title, but it's uh, the cap the, the company of Captain Franz Bunning Koch or something like that, and yeah. Lieutenant Willem van Ruitenburg. Ah, uh, yes. Forgotten. Always forget about yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but Franz Spanning Cock is one of the great Dutch names. Yeah, I definitely, think. yeah. So he's the, he's the dick captain. Um, <laughs> yes, the dick lawyer of his yeah. day. Uh, so the, the painting is worth a look, uh, Robin? Oh, gosh, absolutely. And, of course, now's the time to do it because the Rijksmuseum is still relatively quiet because the tourists aren't back yet en masse. And you can also take in the slavery exhibition. The British tourists aren't back. Oh, don't talk about the British tourists, please. <laughs> they don't really go to the Rijksmuseum, though, in no, fairness. No, they don't. No. You're right, no. you're they're, right. They're not here for the culture. No, but you can also take in the slavery exhibition, which I haven't seen, but I'm told is uh, impressive and very moving. And in, in fact, you know, I'd say this is the time to go and visit all those Dutch attractions you've never visited because they were always overcrowded. Yeah. You know, take the Anne Frank House, for example. There's no queues at the moment, so you can go in there and you can really savour the atmosphere. So, you know, that's my weekend tip. Go and see those busy places that you haven't been to and go and have a look at them now before before the hordes return. Yeah. Mm. Good tip. Very good tip. 
that's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also back us on Patreon now at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to Robin Pascoe and Gordon Derrick, and we'll be back next week. Gordon, you disappeared. You 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 you, yeah, you changed I've, into a bridge. I've, I've turned into a bridge. Yes, is it, this is the, it's the uh, Clifton the, Clifton Bridge? The Clifton Bridge. Yes, the Delta. Ah. This is the Delta variant of Corona. It's a very uh, worrying <laughs> side effect. You turn into pieces of infrastructure. <laughs> no, I, I put the blanket on, so the, uh, ah, that's why. So you disappeared. So I've vanished. Yeah. Well, okay. a nice picture. You know, nice to exactly. see a bit. I was born overlooking that bridge. You know. Were you really? Really. Yeah. Wow. Oh, it's uh, it's uh, one of my favourite bridges. Ah, I didn't go on at this time, obviously, because I was uh, wasn't supposed to leave quarantine. Uh, designed by Mr. Telford. No, no, no uh, Brunel. Isambard Kingdom, Brunel. Yeah. All right, I will uh, believe you. The, 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 there's a little museum at the end of the bridge, all about Brunel. Ah, so the it's Clifton suspension. Paul, it, it's beaten into you when you you know live in bristol <laughs> yeah when you live there of course yeah, yeah. i was a student there as well so yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, um okay okay you i uh, forget what i said <laughs> delete delete can we restart yeah, the recording yeah. because no. i want every evidence gone delete, delete and start again <laughs>